You're listening to episode 98 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. Hello, I am Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. It is the 10th of June 2020 here in Norwich as this episode is being released. So Lewis Buxton is a poet, performer and arts producer. He was selected as one of the Poetry School and Nine Arches Press Primers Volume 4 Poets and has been published in the Rialto, Magma, Ambit and Oxford Poetry. He is director of Toast, a live poetry event and workshops project designed to support poets in the UK. He's a Norwich Arts Centre writer in residence and has worked extensively with us here at the National Centre for Writing with a particular focus on tutoring young people. And the reason I'm saying all this is that we are very excited that Lewis is on the pod with us today. Hi, Lewis. Hi, guys. Hello. How's it going? I'm really good. I'm trying to uh, live every day as sort of like present as I can, feeling uh, through the day and deciding what exactly it is I want in any one moment. Um, How are you guys? Pretty much the same, I think. (laughs) I'd say so. Yeah, living living it is a bit like Groundhog Day, isn't it? But uh, I'm trying to do at least one useful thing a day, even if it's just putting my washing on, doing something that's a little bit useful. And that's getting me through, I think. I think I've really uh, tried to put some pressure on those terms like useful and productive um, at the moment and and tried to think about them as expansively as I possibly can. But um, I am quite aware that we're on a podcast called uh, the writing life and the, that particularly like my life as a writer, my life as a freelance self-employed person has in certain ways made me peculiarly well suited to working through lockdown. So I'd say that I have managed to veer away from boredom and tried not to, and, and managed to make myself feel useful even when potentially I'm not being that useful. <laughs> Have you managed to continue writing then? Is that, have you managed to sort of continue a fairly regular writing routine? Yeah, I have. Um, for me, like writing is always tied quite closely, almost inextric- inextricably from to, to reading. So like, so long as I maintain a good reading routine, mm. um, i.e. like, actually more importantly, so long as I have good things to read that make me want to write, I'll maintain a, a fairly good writing routine. So like I get, I, I also organize my days like I'm a primary school child. Um, so like I start work at nine o'clock um, and I have like a break for like squash and biscuits. Um, I have uh, my pack lunch at 12 <laughs> and then I, and then I finish about three 30. Um, sometimes I start earlier, but, um, but I, I, and that was a practice that I had before lockdown. So, um, so yeah, I've managed to maintain quite a sort of like, a writing routine in a lot of ways because I travel a lot for my work. I travel to schools. I travel to gigs, to theatres. Um, the fact that that has all gone um, means that I've I've managed to maintain a fairly healthy writing life throughout this. Yes, yeah, it sounds a bit like what Owen Shears was saying on the pod a few weeks back, where he was noting how you know for him personally, lockdown hasn't been too bad because he can kind of carry on doing the thing that he does and although you know he has moments where he's spending days writing and spending more time with his family and it's lovely and then occasional other moments where he realizes what's happening in the wider world and it all feels very peculiar yeah i'd agree with that incidentally i once saw one of uh, shears's poems carved into granite on an underpass in stevenage maybe or high wickham somewhere <laughs> like stevenage. that 
Um, yeah, big up Stevenage. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that, um, I'm, I'm like exceedingly lucky that I have like space to write. And again, like at the beginning of this, my partner, who is also a writer, uh, we like chopped up the house, uh, chopped up the flat and we're like, you're in this room. I'm in this room. We're not, we're, you know, these are the hours that we're going to be writing. This is how we're going to do this so we don't drive each other completely nuts and we just have a regular amount of arguments and not even more arguments than we usually would yeah it's a delicate balancing act isn't it um we were supposed to have this chat i believe it was at the end of march uh, after one of your toast events and that got entirely superseded by lockdown which very inconveniently kicked off just before that um and i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that part of what you do has had to adapt or pause or what you're doing to kind of keep toast up and running? Yeah, definitely. So um, to give some background on what Toast is, Toast is a poetry project that uh, I founded in 2016 with um, a really wonderful poet and producer called Harriet Creelman. Um, And basically it started as a program of live workshops and live events uh, that responded firstly to an appetite to poet- for poetry that we believed existed in the world, um, and secondly, as something that supports poets, um, both in terms of like community support, uh, social support, administrative support, financial support. Um, and Toast is built on the very se- simple philosophy that poetry is entertaining and that people want to come and see it. Um, and what we currently do is that uh, Toast runs monthly live events at the Norwich Arts Centre, uh, we have headliners from around the country and around the world um, who are the people that I think are the best, most entertaining and engaging poets working right now. Um, and then we also run um, workshops hosted by the National Centre for Writing uh, called the Toast Workshop, um, uh, which is for like the community to come and engage with our headliners and to learn new poetry skills. Um, and we also have a young people's arm of toast which is uh, for primary school kids which is called toasties um and we are developing something called after school toast for teenagers um but all of that uh, relies and thrives on in in usual life uh, on how the fact that it's live the fact that we are you know re- you're reacting to poetry in a moment and um it's about performance and it's about engagement with people and bringing people together um and at the beginning of all this when our show so yeah we had a show scheduled for the 22nd of march and so lockdown we cancelled that and then lockdown began on the 23rd um and so it was a real um sort of administrative financial and creative challenge for toast to work out how we could possibly replicate our sort of ethos of entertaining poetry um and and in in a sort of digital world, um, obviously, like poetry is something that happens on the page all the time, and so um, that was one area that we we wanted to develop to like hype up all the headliners that we were going to have and all the books they had coming out and stuff like that. Um, but then, yeah, we 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 react to it in lots of different ways, in ways of like trying to find connections. So uh, within, uh, I think, a week of lockdown, we launched our project, the Grain Store which is um, a project where you can commission poems to be written for you about anything that you want. 
So it's based on connection. And um, so, you know, you could pay anywhere from a fiver to a hundred quid um, or anywhere in between um, to have a poem written about um, your best friend who loves koala bears and Zadie Smith novels or um, your grandma who is super into like um, peanut butter sandwiches and, uh, and, and has like a deep-seated love of Jeremy Corbyn. So like um, we, we'd gather, gather that information from people and, and make, make poems for them. And so that's how we've really been sustained uh, creatively and financially through lockdown is that we've been offering these moments of connection through that. We've also um, got a new project coming soon called Slices of Toast, which is a um, online workshopping project, very short um, poetry prompts from some of the best poets working in the UK at the moment. Um, and we've just and we, we did um, some mentoring projects. So we did some online mentoring with um, oh the National Centre for Writing's um, former artist in residence Hannah Jane Walker led some uh, mentoring on live poetry. Nice. The wonderful Joe Bell did some mentoring, and we even veered into into the heavy world of prose with the fantastic Megan Bradbury leading some uh, short story and novel writing mentoring sessions. So that's really how Toast has been sustained through all of this. I'm impressed with the speed in which you guys set up the granary so quickly after lockdown, and also the speed in which you've been able to make up so many Toast-related puns. I can claim absolutely no credit for that toast at the moment uh is myself and my producer daisy henwood and i am in charge of the budgets so like i make sure that we've got all the money to do things and i'm in charge of booking artists um then daisy is in charge of um all of the stuff that you just mentioned she is like the best sort of like creative project manager that i know mm. she has like a real life for marketing and all of that stuff well done, so daisy. like i know big up producer daisy and um and so like all, all of those things came predominantly from her and then her like putting them through the filtering system of 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 me and me being like oh i don't know if that one makes sense does that properly make sense can we call that that thing does that sound weird um but ultimately yeah all, all of all of the like the speed of thought on that stuff and the um the vast world of toast related puns are entirely down to to daisy henwood um and then i just check that we have the artists and the money to pay for it and it sounds like a big part of it is supporting other artists as well because obviously everyone's had to kind of slightly reinvent how and what they they do in terms of their their art and their practice at the moment yeah i um am very conscious of my dual role um in the poetry world of both being an artist myself i am a poet and um i work very hard at my craft and i'm i'm very conscious of all of the administrators all of the producers uh all of the people who work behind the scenes to make sure that I can do those things in free and unfettered ways. Um, and so I want, I always wanted toast to be that for other people. When we do shows, um, when we bring uh, poets to Norwich or we support poets who exist in Norwich already, we always make sure that they have a really good time. So like we sort out their hotels for them. We take them for dinner at the wonderful bicycle shop, which is in Norwich. We like, 
point them towards the book hive which is one of the best independent bookshops in the country it's based in norwich and um and so we create that holistic experience for artists so that they can do that thing that they are really good at, i.e. putting on a poetry show or in this case, um, uh, writing a commissioned poem or making uh, a new piece of like educational creative work. Um, and that has always been integral to everything that I've done. I believe in um, artistic communities. I think that writing is an inherently and necessarily um if not lonely thing, something that requires you to be alone. And I am very interested in the ways outside of the actual moment of writing something down in a, on a page, what ways we can connect and spend time together um, as writers and also as writers with audiences outside of that and how I can support other, other artists. I'm profoundly disinterested in um, spending any more time alone than I currently have to, especially um through and and after lockdown um so yeah it's toast has always at its core been about sharing and about bringing communities together yeah it's so exciting isn't it when as you know as a as a writer when you're you are working largely on your own and then it's the same with our festivals and workshops or just some of the social gatherings that we put together at dragon hall when you suddenly get all these people in a room who ordinarily are kind of siloed off in their own imaginations and then you put them in one space and and see those little connections start to form and potentially new ideas or projects or just people kind of sharing that that common experience yeah one of my favorite things so like toast actually began as a project in london because that's where i used to live um and when i moved back to norwich um one of the things that i think is so brilliant about it and specifically about places like the National Centre for Writing and the Norwich Arts Centre, both organisations I work with a lot, is that um, you are, I find, incredibly welcoming, arms-open uh, organisations that support communities. And um, I think that, that that's always been the sort of play, thing that I wanted to create. And I recognise what that means to me and how much I want to recreate it for, for other people. Um, and all the, the salons that you guys do, I um, had one of my favourite things that I did in the last year um, was at the Norfolk and Norwich Festival last year, I did an interview with the writer Kate Clanchy for the National Centre for Writing and just just the idea that I get to sit down and talk to Kate for an hour, irrespective of if there are 70 people in the room or not, <laughs> was a joyful thing for me. And I and I love that there are organisations like you who exist, who want to do this, who even want to do a podcast like this through a time uh, where we are physically isolated. Yeah, so in terms of uh, Toast, and particularly when in less peculiar times when it is up and running in a live capacity and you, you have the events at the art centre and elsewhere. How did you go about kind of designing and, and figuring out how to make a really good live literature show? Because live literature is, is something that can go in all kinds of different directions, some of them more successful than others. And, you know, something that we're always kind of prodding at the corners of as well. And I was wondering, yeah, what, what, what took you towards the particular way that you do toast? Oh, that is such a considerate question. Um, <laughs> what brought us to that point? Um, a lot of trial and error. So I have been working on, I'm currently 27. I've been working in like poetry 
and performing and going to poetry events for a decade. I was 17 when I went to my first one. And um, I have seen all sorts of different versions of uh, ways that events can work well and work badly. Um, And so I took all the things of events that, like poetry events that I saw worked well, Um, stuff like in London, there was a night called Bang Said the Gun. I took a lot of inspiration from that, inspiration from like the way festivals have worked. Um, and then, and then I looked at like all the other sorts of art that I consume, you know, like, um, the way comedy shows work or the way like gigs, concerts work. And, and I try to recreate, recreate that as much as possible on stage for a poetry event. And so Toast is, um, it's big, like we're in a big venue, um, you know, we get anywhere between like 70 to a hundred people turning up at each of our events. Um, it is, it is like energetic. I really, it's not like loud and like in your face, but it is energetic. It's got like a real, um, uh, a sort of momentum behind it, which is brought both by the artists and by the audience. Um, so like, firstly, I knew I wanted to capture that energy. We developed, we um, started in small rooms in pubs in London. And then when we uh, moved to Norwich, uh, we started off in the Norwich Arts Centre bar. um, And then we moved to their main space. And as we've moved, each time we've added more things in. So uh, the important things for me are like stuff like really attractive uh, stage design. We have these massive letters that look like um, sort of live at the Apollo stuff. They're massive letters that spell out toast. Um, we have like bright colours on our stages. All of that, again, designed by uh, my producer, Daisy. And um, we have stuff like entrance music. And like we think about all those tiny things that make it feel like a show, make both the audience and the performers feel valued, feel like what they are doing is important and they both deserve a space to be heard and the audience deserve a space to sit and relax and listen. I always believe that like poetry is uncomfortable enough that you should be physically comfortable whilst it's happening. <laughs> and the other thing is that like there's a, um, there's a, a critic called Walter Beishart and he says that uh, poetry should be emphatic, intense and soon over. Like <laughs> poems are short, man. I went to so I've been to so many live literature shows, so many poetry shows that like start at eight o'clock and at half eleven you're checking your watch, like, oh my god, they're still going. <laughs> and I did not want that replicated for Toast. Toast is like a two-hour show at most. We start at 7:30, we're usually done by 9:30. I like to get to bed. And like it's and so I, I really believe in that. I believe in like making an audience feel comfortable and and listening to the art form that we're working in and trying to replicate that on stage and remembering that the most important person when you are making a show as a producer, the most important um, people to me are the audience. I want I want the artists to have an amazing time, but the audience and and how audience focused we are, both in terms of like how it, like there are venue is as accessible as we can get it at the moment it's wheelchair accessible there are still like so many things we need to do we need we i would love to like build on our um accessibility for the deaf community and all of those sorts of things but like making a space welcoming for people physically making sure they've got comfortable seats making sure there's a bar like all of that stuff is so important and doing that and 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 like thinking very hard about the poets that i book i don't just book everyone I don't even book all the people 
Like, I love every single poet that I put on a stage, but not every single poet that I love gets put on that stage. Mm. Because, like, I think about who out there is doing wonderful things in performance as well as what they are writing. Who is going to put on a show? And that doesn't mean, again, that doesn't mean, like, loud, funny poets. That means, like, who can use quietness? Who can use shyness and introversion on stage that is entertaining or that connects with the other introverts in the audience? Like, who can do that? Who is thinking about their stagecraft and thinking about this almost as a theatrical production? And that has been the heart of how we've designed uh, Toast shows and how it's built from, like, being a, you know, crap set in a pub in North London where the mic didn't work properly and me being like, I can't do that again. I don't, I always want the microphone to work and people to be able to hear and um, and people be, be able to engage with it. And I'm really lucky that I have um, been able to spend the time, the effort and uh, through the good grace of the Arts Council and various other trusts and foundations, uh, been able to spend the money on making that show look good and get the artists who who make it sound good too. Yeah, it's fabulous. And in terms of the, those audiences that you get, do you have any sense of how many, like what, what portion of the audience are poets themselves? How many are non-poets? Do you get people who are kind of completely new to poetry and discovering it through Toast? Yeah, um, one of my proudest achievements with Toast is that we get, the majority of our audience are not poets. I That's think that um, I am a poet who who reads poetry, obviously. And so it's really important that like poets are part of your audience. But um, if <laughs> the, the writer uh, Inouye Elams uh, told me once that um, poetry, the problem with poetry is that it doesn't work as a business model because more people write poetry than read poetry. And I've since he said that to me, about eight years ago I've been trying to disprove him <laughs> and um and I feel like that's potentially what I know I was trying to do um but there is no point in me making uh an entire show for other poets we're already the Norwich Arts Centre is already a converted church I don't want to preach to any more choirs like I think it's far more interesting um to make shows for the people who turn up so we get one of my favorite moments we get a, a couple who who come uh, pretty much every time to toast, and uh, the uh, the the guy is a uh, retired policeman, and the uh, woman is a uh, neonatal ICU nurse, and they come every time and they sit in the front row. And um, one of the most powerful moments that we had at toast was, um, and I might cry telling you this, yeah. um, but so just bear with me. Uh, the poet Roger Robinson, who is fantastic and recently won the T.S. Eliot Prize, um, Roger has a poem called Grace, and it's about his son uh, who was born premature. And um, it's about the nurse who looked after him. And before he, he, he read the poem, Roger said, um, oh, is there anyone, uh, are there any nurses in the audience? And... Um, the, the nurse in the front row didn't put her hand up, but her husband like touched her leg and I saw him do it and Roger saw him do it. And he, and he looked at her and he went, oh, are you a nurse? And she said, yeah. And he said, oh, what do you do? And she said, oh, I work in neonatal ICU. And he was like, right, well, this one's for you. And he read her this poem and it's so beautiful. And it, uh, you know, especially at the moment, like honoring 
all of the NHS workers who are doing such incredible stuff for us, but also thinking about what they do on a daily basis. And that poem holds all of that. And it was for a nurse. And that, that like made me, I, I was like crying on the side of the stage. And that was the poem he ended on. And I had to then go back on stage in floods of tears <laughs> and be like, ladies and gentlemen, Roger Robinson, <laughs> and finish the show. And it was so beautiful. And a moment like that doesn't happen if you only market to other poets. So like, that's a big part of what Toast is. And I'd, the only advice I'd give anyone else who was like trying to make a live literature event. Um, and it's, it's part of the reason that the Toast isn't an open mic. We have lots of provision for um, up and coming artists. And I go to all of the open mics in, in um, Norwich that I can. Um, and I think they're an important, incredibly important part of the ecosystem. But the reason that Toast specifically isn't an open mic is that um, that is is one surefire way to fill the room with poets. Whereas I wanted to fill the room with everybody else. I wanted to fill the room with teachers, with nurses, with civil servants, with architects, with builders, with all the people who have been systematically told that poetry is not for them. And I wanted to represent poets on stage who look like their audience, who have experiences like their audience. Um, and and in doing so, I think that that's how you that's how you get an audience like that. That and like very effective like print and digital marketing as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, so our audience is not by any means made up of poets. It is made up of so many interesting, beautiful, um, diverse people. Oof. That was great. You were right there, Steph. That was very good. Yeah, that was lovely. Felt uh, yeah, felt touched by that. It was very good. I want to go and find that poem now. Oh, mate, I tried to find it. I'll read another Roger Robinson poem later, but like, I, I keep, it's called Grace, and I just, I think I've left his book at my studio, and now I can't, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, shout out to Roger Robinson. I've written it down. I'll have a look. Moving on, or rather rewinding a little bit from Toast, I wondered if you could talk to us about how you got into poetry in the first place. You mentioned how you've been doing this since you were 17, pretty much, and, and also particular themes and areas of personal interest in in your poetry and your writing so those are two uh, really great uh specific questions so i'm going to say the first one first about like how i got into poetry um i first discovered uh poetry in the way that it it currently impacts upon me uh when i was 17 at latitude festival and i wandered into the poetry tent there and i saw poets like Ross Sutherland and Tim Clare and Hannah Jane Walker and Luke Wright um, uh, performing poetry. And I didn't, uh, that was totally new to me. Um, and at the time I'd been um, lugging a guitar around North London, uh, trying to fill the gap that existed in 2009 for an acoustic singer-songwriter until Ed Sheeran rocked up and ruined it for the rest of us. And um, I found that going to open mics uh, for poetry, where you uh, didn't need to to carry a guitar and could just turn up with your poems, most of them memorised if you wanted to, was both a literal and uh, figurative weight off my shoulders. And um, I found this glorious community of uh, poets who were interested in what each other were writing, and uh, there was space for you to to perform. And in, in my case, I'm an extrovert. I get like so much of my energy off of um, interaction with other people and and talking to big big groups of people at once and um it seemed like uh, a perfect sort of like 
uh, channel for all of all of my creative energy. And uh, then I went to university at uh, UEA in Norwich and found a bunch of poetry nights there. I think I was 19 when I got my first paid poetry gig. I um, uh, performed at a night called Come Rhyme With Me in uh, Brighton. Um, and, and it, it, you know, even that, like, uh, it introduced me to this idea that I could travel and do this, this job and that it could be, it could be a job. Um, and so I, I did that. And, uh, at all times, like my poetry career has always been, uh, tied up with education. I come from a family of teachers. Uh, education has always been so important to what I do. Um, and so at the same time that I was like beginning to like travel around the country and like perform at poetry shows uh i was volunteering for what was then the writer center norwich now the national center for writing um and i was i was leading workshops for young men in thetford um at like a community center and then uh when i was 21 i left uni and i i uh, jumped into the world of gainful fun employment and i uh started uh running poetry nights uh i'd run poetry nights whilst i was at uni was when when i was 21 i um uh really invested in a night that i was running called burn after reading which was in london and um uh it was about it that like built this community of young poets around me um and from there on in i worked for a creative writing charity for three years getting a grounding as an operations assistant so learning how to um how to budget how to uh, make proposal for grants, um, how to uh, pay invoices. Um, and then in 2016, I went fully freelance and I managed to um, carve out a career um, of performing, of leading workshops for young people. And uh, I got my first Arts Council England grant for Toast to develop it as um, a program of events and workshops. Um, and so, yeah, that I've now managed to like develop this sort of patchwork quilt of um of a career where i uh publish and i perform and i produce and i teach poetry and that i am so lucky and so sort of overawed and to to say that like that is the the sort of central point in my life and it's where um not only my it's not it's not only the way i earn a living but it's also the way that i live and that's um, that's incredible for me. So that's how that sort of developed over time. Um, gone and 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 I'm very conscious that, I, uh, that I'm talking about like a, a sort of poetry career here, and that's a that's a strange, almost oxymoronic thing. Um, and I want to acknowledge that it works differently for different people, and there are ups and downs, and um, you sh- you like shift backwards and forwards, and there are times that I will do other things. But right now, the the most important part of my life is poetry. Um, so that's an answer to your first question, how I got into all of this and how that developed. In answer to your second question about like what um, what sort of like my work is concerned with. Um, so my p- first pamphlet, which came out with Nine Arches Press as part of their Primers uh, program with the Poetry School, um, was mostly concerned with um, uh, sport, masculinity, and the body. Um, so there are poems in there about. Um, uh, American football quarterbacks. There are ones about bodybuilders. There are ones about playing tennis. Uh, there are love poems. There are poems for uh, my my best friend. Um, and so, like that, that concerned predominantly with the body, how we um, think about 
gender and uh, more recently like nature. I've become so obsessed with various different strange animals, my favorite of which at the moment is the Greenland shark, which is the oldest uh, living mammal that we know of. Um, the oldest one we found is anywhere between 700, uh, anywhere between 272 and 512 years old. Um, and so, yeah, I've become uh, re- really invested in like looking at um, ideas of masculinity, uh, gender, nature, and, and selfhood through the lens of the body. Um, and that's what you'll find like most of my work at the moment is about. I'm also trying to develop um, a show uh, that is about football um, and uh, how much I love football, why I love football, uh, and what it tells me about my life. Lewis. Stephanie. Would you like to read a couple of your poems to us? Yeah, I'd love that. So I'm going to read two poems of my own, and then I'm going to read a few poems by some poets who I really admire, because as I said all the way through this, like poetry, uh, writing poetry and reading poetry have always been connected for me. So this first poem uh, is called The Howl, and it's for uh, a dog that I love very much, but I don't technically own. The Howl. Wilma wears anything dead or fecal like perfume. She hates other people eats postman, and dresses in grass stains for a party where horse shit is the finest entree. She is a lazy murderer, hasn't killed in years, and I love her. The calligraphy of her coat, her mistrust of all things chocolate Labrador, her search for fox in the back garden, the quiet of her shape on the sofa next to me when I'm lonely at Christmas. I love her fear of the suitcase in the hallway and her shameless vomiting when anyone goes away because why should she know that we are ever coming back? I love the way she shook when you and I argued. This introvert who no longer wants to go further than the end of the road, not when so much love is at home in the kitchen. She knows the world and what it's taken. Knows how often it faints with a ball in her hand and doesn't let go. For her... I leave the party early saying sorry. She doesn't like to be left alone. But it's me who misses the shit-misted perfume, the howl, the incessant call. Very nice. As uh, anyone in the office will testify to, I am not really an animal person. But uh, that poem did make me feel very kindly towards that dog. That is your one single flaw, Simon. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's a really interesting um even that phrase like animal person what a what a what a like you you're not you can't be an animal person because we're all animals that's that's the sort of thing that sounds really intelligent and probably isn't um but like um yeah I'm I'm really interested in like how we think about um ourselves and our personalities through animals at the moment but also through other people so like um I I I think that the only way you can like develop uh, yourself or the only way I can develop myself is by sort of like looking around me and like looking at other people and being like, right, so how are you doing this weird task we call living? And how are you doing it? My mate, Tom, um, who has a normal job, he's a digital marketing executive. He does very well at it. He is a wonderful, sensitive, thoughtful person. Um, And I think he's like, he's read poetry, but like, and he's read some of my poetry, but like to him, it doesn't matter about when I publish a first collection. It doesn't matter to him that I got published in the Rialto or that I got rejected from um, a a particular grant proposal or anything like that. He doesn't care. Tom cares about me. 
And unfortunately, the only way I can express to Tom how much I care about him is through poetry, um, which he might not ever read. So this poem is called Cues, and it's for Tom. The pub's red and yellow glow keeps us still. Our beer sitting cheap and quiet at our elbows. Even the pool table's green stubble outgrows our beards, and in this light, we're beautiful. Our bodies look for angles, negotiating shots. I break the triangle's neat silence, and we hear the click of colours against one another. We learn when to be powerful, when to be soft. I want to win, but not for this to end, not now. When I'm passing the last cue on the shelf to a boy I'm so close with, I could be playing myself. I hear the scrape of cue on chalk, the hum of yellow rolling to the edge. I want to notice the space that's left. I want to fill it with our talk. That was lovely. Cool. So I'm now going to read a couple of poems um, by headliners, uh, past, present, and uh, hopefully future at, um, at Toast. Uh, so the first is by uh, the very wonderful poet Roger Robinson, who I think I've mentioned a couple of times this podcast. Um, and this is from his T.S. Eliot prize winning book, A Portable Paradise. And it is the title poem, A Portable Paradise. And if I speak of paradise, then I'm speaking of my grandmother, who told me to carry it always on my person concealed. So no one else would know but me. That way they can't steal it, she'd say. And if life puts you under pressure, trace its ridges in your pocket, smell its piney scent on your handkerchief, hum its anthem under your breath. And if your stresses are sustained and daily, get yourself to an empty room, be it hotel, hostel, or hovel. Find a lamp and empty your paradise onto a desk, your white sands, green hills, and fresh fish. Shine the lamp on it like the fresh hope of morning and keep staring at it till you sleep. Okay. Uh, this next poem is by the poet who would have headlined our event uh, in March uh, and led some online mentoring sessions for us, the very wonderful Jo Bell. Uh, this is from her uh, second collection, which is called Kith, published by Nine Arches Press. Uh, so yeah, crates. Observe that when I speak of crates, your mind supplies one straight away. Likely, you are thinking of the fruiterer's crate, a shallow, slatted box of rain-napped pine, the archetype of apples stenciled on the side, a cartouche slot above it for a grocer's hand. Your crate may be the sturdy plastic tub of the eco-minded council, waiting at the gate with all its rinsed tomato cans, and in this case, a drowned frog. Or then again, the solid, beer-smooth wood hefted by the publican with its hungover slump of bottles to the yard the morning after. Your crate exists as soon as it is thought. Its shape is shown in speaking it. Now, let us speak of love. And then the final... Um, I've tried to choose poems today that um, I think... Uh, are really positive and really happy because um, I think that's what I need right now. That's the sort of poems that I'm reading at the moment. Um, and so 
this final one is both positive and happy because it's from uh, the wonderful Joe Dunthorne's book, uh, O Positive, and it's called In Which I Practice Happiness. Joe, of course, was on the podcast about a month ago talking to Jenny Offal. But yeah, about her book, Weather, right? That was amazing. Uh, Joe is, uh, I think I would give Joe the award for nicest person in poetry. Cool. In which I practice happiness, Joe Dunthorne. I love pigeons, even when their claws are stumps and they walk as though in heels. I love guinea pigs for the idea they are, in some way, a pig. Their heartbeats make their bodies vibrate. I like to pretend to answer them. Who may I say is speaking? I love football. More people love football than love social justice, but that doesn't mean football isn't brilliant. Whenever I head the ball, I feel a poem evaporate. I hate the bit of the poem where you're obliged to hate something. I love the piano. I love true crime. I love the sun when it arrives like a tray of drinks. So those are three poems all from uh, headliners at Toast Events. Can I just say a big fan of Joe Dunthorne's love of guinea pigs there. Uh, found myself a kindred spirit. Oh, it's just a good line. I love guinea pigs for the, uh, the idea they are in some <laughs> way pigs. It's both funny, but also you sit there and you just think about like, language and how we describe things and why is a guinea pig called a, a pig and like i'm sure there's an etymological reason i'm just yeah he, he articulates it beautifully steph's guinea pigs have provided the the biggest challenge in terms of lockdown production of this podcast in fact it is true every time i go to speak they start drinking water in the background yeah or nibbling or squeaking or some such it's a challenge working from home yeah absolutely is um so Lewis, uh, what are you up to with Toast over the next year? Obviously, we're in a kind of weirdly uncertain time at the moment, so it's hard to exactly know what any of us are up to for the next year. Um, but yeah, I was wondering, you know, where do you hope to take Toast? And and also how, not just Toast, but poetry in general, kind of where does it fit into this kind of weird mix of chaos and order that we're all stuck in at the moment? Well, over the next year, Toast has um, a lot of things planned. Uh, we're very lucky that we're supported by the Arts Council of England and by the National Centre for Writing and the Young Norfolk Arts Trust and the Norwich Arts Centre. Uh, the hope is that we can get back to doing live shows and uh, community workshops at some point. Um, so we hope to continue with um, doing our shows, which are once a month on a Sunday evening at the Norwich Arts Centre. Uh, we're hoping to bring actually all three of the poets that I just read, both Joe Dunthorne, Joe Bell and Roger Robinson. We want to bring them all um, back uh, to read at Toast again. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh, developing some of the amazing talent that ha that's happening in Norfolk right now. So uh, we're working with an incredible poet called Poppy Stevens, uh, one called Shannon Clinton Copeland, who is, in, who is absolutely amazing. She's like 19 or something and doing incredible work. Um, and uh, writers like James McDermott and um, and Hannah Jane Walker, like uh, working with poets who are doing incredible work in Norfolk right now. And we want to be able to support them in their careers. And we want to find new writers. So if there's anyone who's listening to this, who is writing poetry and um, is interested in performing, um, then when we get uh, back to performing, we're going to be opening uh, submissions for our floor spots. So you send in 
a couple of poems to our email address, contact at toastpoetry.com. And um, we have a look at stuff and we organize our shows. Going back to your question about like how we like design the shows, part of it is that we curate. We like look at all the poets that we have at our disposal and we put them together in interesting ways that we think will be the most entertaining. So um, if you are a poet, you are listening to this, you do want an opportunity to get up on stage, um, then email contact at toastpoetry.com. We still have a bit of a backlog, but we are working our way through it. Um, so yeah, that's our plan for the next for the next year or so. Um, still continuing with the, with the grain store, using poetry as a as a way to connect. At the moment, getting bespoke poems written for you and sent like beautifully presented to you. Um, we're developing our work with schools, so um, we're hoping to work with a couple of schools in rural Norfolk. Having uh, both myself and my producer Daisy Henwood visiting and leading writing workshops and like developing our work there, developing our work with teenagers through Sonic Youths at the Norwich Arts Centre. Um, and yeah, so that that's what Toast is planning over the next year. Um, you can find out about all our like ongoing projects at Toast Poetry on Twitter and at Toast Poetry UK on Instagram uh, or on our website, toastpoetry.com. But in answer to your second question, do you want to repeat it? So like, what was, was it about like the role poetry is playing at the moment? Yeah, and the and I know it's a broad question, but like the the sense of where poetry can fit into what we've discovered twenty twenty to be, which I think is not what any of us expected it to be. And we've talked a little bit on previous podcast episodes to to writers, particularly novelists, about sort of where the novel can fit and and that kind of that feeling that writing is that sometimes as a writer you can feel that writing is is fairly pointless and frivolous compared to, you know, NHS workers in hospitals. And then at other times you're like, no, actually writing is incredibly important because it's, it's shining a light on things in a different way. It's recording history in a particular way. Um, and yeah, kind of what, what, what can be poetry's role in, in that? The, the lovely thing about poetry um, in terms of like, where does it fit? Poetry is so small that it can often fit anywhere. <laughs> like um, I start like, you can you can read it anywhere. Um, you know, I, I know that people uh, read poetry on the tube. They read poetry on the toilet. They read poetry in the park. And so, in that way, like tangibly, I, I don't I don't say that lightly. I mean that like in in this time where like we we both feel ourselves having loads of time and no time at all. Um, poetry, I think, is 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 formally useful because it's so short. Um, or, or a lot of it is. Um, I think the the thing that um, is really, really important for me about poetry, and this isn't not true of other forms of literature, but I, I find it really useful, is that poetry can hold nuance in a way that um, I find incredibly useful and digestible. If we think again about like the line Joe Dunthorne has um in the poem that i just read which is i love football more people love football than love social justice but that doesn't mean football isn't brilliant like that that to me sums up the sort of role that poetry can have in that like it can capture the fact that at the moment things are awful things are also brilliant in some ways it can capture the fact that like we are all profoundly sad at the moment and there are things that make me happy um sometimes those like sadness and happiness can come from the same thing as the great singer-songwriter 
Casey Musgrave says in her most recent album, you can be happy and sad at the same time. Love it. And um, and so yeah, that that's what I'm looking for from poetry is its capacity to hold so many different things in one small container. Uh, its ability to to be different at at different times, and also its 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 capacity to be marginal. Like the fact that it doesn't like poems. We don't all have to love all poems. I hate most poems, and like <laughs> it's, but but I know the stuff that I like. I know the stuff that I value, um, and uh, and and yeah. So like, like I'm reading a lot of this poet called Ada Lamone at the moment, who is um, a fantastic American poet, and um, and yeah, she she like helps me feel like ecstatic about the world um and and hopeful and joyful whilst at the same time being able to acknowledge um the strangeness and the difficulty right now like for you two as like writers and readers what 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 role does poetry or like literature more generally play for you at the moment like why is it useful to you it's a good question isn't it i feel like i don't know i mean arguably this period of time has shown everyone how important all types of art and culture are because it's something that we're all relying upon so much to get by in terms of kind of comfort. Uh, Yeah. Like going back to something that we're really overly familiar with that we've read or watched or listened to a million times and we need to draw that comfort from it or trying something new, you know, building a to-do list of a to-read list of books that I've been meaning to get around to doing for ages and I haven't had time. Um, And everyone's kind of resorting to, you know, whatever films are on Netflix, what, you know, what's on TV. It's all such a, I don't know, it's such a source of comfort and support and company at the moment. Um, It's, it's a really huge deal. And I think this, this entire period of time is just, you know, it, I mean, it's reinforced to me. It hasn't proven to me. It's just reinforced just how important um, all of these things are. Um, And you'd think even in terms of our work, you'd think that things, might be difficult for us uh, or that we might not be quite so busy if we're not in the office and we're not able to put together Mm. a lot of the things that we do day to day that are sort of yeah present and physical but actually we've been even busier (laughs) and the things that we've moved online have been even more popular and we've had an even better reaction to them. Mm. I think something I've found as well is the this this lockdown period and the way COVID-19 has transformed the entire world and we don't know whether this is a temporary thing or or exactly how much is going to be kind of fundamentally changed when we come out the other side but because of that it's put even those kind of Mm. those comforting nostalgic things or escapist uh literature or films or what have you but it's put all Mm. of those in a completely new context that's never happened before whereby a, a book or a film or a poem that you've read before if it references a social gathering or yeah. there's some kind of big crowd scene in it or anything like that stuff you didn't really even pay attention to like a character walking into a bar you know at, at the moment mm. that all has massively different context and it's a reminder of how things used to be not very long ago and really starkly illuminates how things aren't at the moment and kind of i think it's it emphasizes what 
we've lost and will hope to get back to and then perhaps appreciate more. I think so. I think that's absolutely right. Have I have either of you read um uh have either of you read Rebecca Solnit's A Field Guide to Getting Lost? I haven't, no. So um I think if I'm recommending any book to anyone at the moment, it's that my partner I just finished her PhD on Rebecca Solnit and um, a lot of it was about that book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And basically, um, I only said it because Simon just said something about like things that we've lost at the moment and the fact that I think people are, fa- are feeling profoundly lost at the moment. They don't know what to do next. They don't know how to plan. They don't um, know, you know, w- what they don't really know where they are intellectually, spiritually, actually the only way that they do know where they are is geographically. Um, And what Solnit says is that like getting lost is a good thing. Um, And the, and losing things is a, is a good thing. Um, And their ways of, um, the ways of processing the world, the ways of being creative in the world. Um, I'm going to do an awful job like, and just butcher what what she says, but they it's an it's a, it's a profoundly comforting book, um, and I and I I would recommend it. Um, but also that idea of like comforting, and uh, the thing I said about poetry and like why toast shows are like um, I think poetry is uncomfortable enough. You should be comfortable whilst they're doing it. And then I think there's maybe some like etymological link between that mm-hmm. and company. Steph, you just said like um, that like that 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 books are like on films and podcasts and stuff are a way of keeping you company. I love mm. that idea. Like may- maybe I want to change my answer. The like nuance <laughs> bullshit that I just said, like yeah. what about just company? Maybe that's what poetry yeah. is. Maybe like, maybe that that's like, that's how I feel. That's when I, it's that Alan Bennett thing about like um, that bit in the history boys when um, uh, Posner is, is sat mm. with uh, the teacher Hector and they're reading a Thomas Hardy poem, and um, and and Hector says to him, "That's the thing about reading. It's as if it's it's, it's when you have a thought that you thought mm-hmm. peculiar to you, and here it is written down by somebody that you've never met, maybe somebody mm-hmm. long dead, and it's as if someone's reaching out a hand. Yeah. And that that's that's all all I ever want. Any of my work." any of my teaching, any of my, like, any show that I ever make, any toast show I ever put on, I always, always want it to be reaching out a hand mm. to the audience. I want it to be, like, uh, the first line of T.S. Eliot's um, love song of J.F. with Prufrock is, like, let us go now, you and I. And that that's what I want. I want every single thing that I make to be, like, an invitation, me holding out a hand and being, like, hey, do you want to mm. come with me and, and, and explore yeah. this thing? Um, and I, again, in a time where we can't touch and we can't literally hand, hold out hands, the importance of, of, of metaphors and doing that figuratively and saying like, here's my hand, here's what I want to do. Like Roger Robinson at that toast show, holding out a hand to the nurse in the, in the front row, like the nurse in real life who held out a hand to him and looked after his son. Like that is what, that's what we need right now. Um, that Michael Rosen poem that's been doing the rounds about these hands, like, it, yeah, it makes me think very tangibly about what my hands are doing. Um, again, this is why it's useful for my work to be rooted in the body. 
is because I can I can look at my hands. I'm looking at my hands right now, and I'm thinking about what they do, what they can do, um, how profoundly they help me interact with the world. Uh, and and again, I think that's what poetry should be doing in the next year is is holding out a hand. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. That was the perfect way to end it, I think. I think it was. Thank you so much, Simon. Thank you, Steph. So uh, we'll make sure we put all the contact details for Toast down in the show notes. So if you are interested in getting in touch with them, go and check those out. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. You can find our Facebook page and you can find out about everything we're doing and optionally sign up to our newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it helps other people to find it and listen to all this good stuff. Thanks again, keep writing, and we will catch you on the next episode. Mm